Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Punch Kick Choke Chat. It's one of our offshoot episodes, and we're so glad you're here watching. You're either watching us on YouTube or on uh, a podcast, you're listening to us, and we're just really grateful that you're here with us. We do these episodes as a way to break into topics a little more specifically than we can do when we're interviewing one of our guests on one of our normal night shows. And we always find that we, we just don't have enough time to get into these deep dives on singular ideas or maybe one or two ideas. And so we created these little offshoot programs as a way to give you shorter, tighter episodes that get to dig into singular or, or more specific ideas. So I'm super excited about that. My name's Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm just going to very quickly introduce our three other hosts. And then I'm going to throw it to them to introduce our guest tonight. So to my left on the screen, I have Sensei Dolphin, who's a seventh degree black belt. We have Sensei Suino, who's an eighth degree black belt and Hanshi Legacy with us, who is a 10th degree black belt. And I just want to throw it now to Sensei Dofan to throw it to Sensei Suino because we're going to dig into our topic. And I just want to say, normally I have a lot to say in these shows, but today I'm so much a listener because everybody here is of a far greater level of expertise on this topic than me. So Sensei Dofan, tell us a little bit about the day and, and about Sensei Suino and how we're going to get into this. Uh, thanks, Ben. Yeah, so we're going to be talking to specifically today about Yaido and we're going to be honing in on Bokken fencing, which is something that has been created at the Japanese Martial Arts Center by the group of people on the, the call today. Um, I was just there like, uh, what, a week ago. It was last weekend, training with Sensei Suino and uh, Sensei Miller and Sensei Holland. And I said, actually, to Dano, I said, I remember the very first time I saw him. Uh, we were at e in East Lansing and we were walking into Itama and he was like, being his usual self, he was sitting in a Tatahiza stance on the sidewalk outside of Itama, waiting for the door to be open so that he could come in. And uh, Sensei Suino's laughing because that's such a Sensei Holland thing to be doing, to be sitting there. And I think he was a teenager. And uh, every moment I've been around him since then, he's a wonderful human being. We've been to Japan together. We shared a room together. Um, he's helped me immensely with my Iaido training. Uh, both technically and just by being inspirational. And also, I want to say a couple of things about uh, Sensei Miller, who loves Sensei Miller. I, he and I are like kindred spirits, because if you had the two of us in a room together and somebody was doing something stupid, they would know about it right away if the two of us were there. <laughs> um, he has a super high technical level in Iaido. Again, very inspirational to me when I... When I watch him train, I'm always afraid for the sword. When I watch uh, Sensei Miller train, I'm always in fear that the sword is going to fall into pieces in his hands because he's so powerful and technically proficient with a sword. Um, and I'm super excited to have these two guys here. And I'm going to just throw it over to Sensei Shino because uh, this is the first time on Punch Kick Choke Chat where one sensei has had all of the students. Sensei Legacy is his student and everybody else on the call is his student. So... What do you want to say, Sensei Suino, before we punch it back to Benson? Uh, yeah, just by a little way of background, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people that watch this call, but if they, if they watch it on YouTube later, they may not know that after, uh, after about 25 years of martial arts training in the U.S., I moved to Tokyo in 1988 and uh, started studying martial arts essentially full-time, stayed there for four-plus four years, um, and one of my instructors was Yamaguchi Katsuo Sensei, who's now passed away, but he was near death when he was granted a, the title Meijin and 
10th Don rank in Iaido in Japan. Um, one of the preeminent post-World War II swordsmen, also a kendo master and just an incredible human being. Uh, and I was lucky enough to study in his home dojo and train with him at least weekly for, for that whole four plus years. Uh, as well as that opportunity exposed me to a lot of other styles of swordsmanship, either in seminars or watching and demonstrations or competing on the other side of the room from people in, in virtually every Japanese sword style you can think of. I say that not to toot my own horn, but just to let everybody know that, um, that myself and the people on this call have seen a lot of Japanese swordsmanship uh, and we all focus uh, uh, in our training, at least in, 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 around me, in uh, Musoji Kiden Asian View Iaido, which is one of the oldest extant Iaido forms in existence, 450 plus years old, very traditional, primarily forms-based. Uh, and in, uh, I can't remember what it was, 91 or 92, I met Hanshi Legacy, I think it was in Boston, um, we struck up an acquaintance and then he invited me to teach in, in uh, St. Thomas, Ontario. We became friends and we have trained together ever since. An offshoot of that is that I began training with Randy Dauphin and eventually Sean Benson. And when I opened my school in Lansing, in East Lansing called Itama Dojo, I think that was in 1993. Uh, a few years thereafter, Holland Sensei rolled in and a very young Holland Sensei um, rolled in, trained in a variety of martial arts with me um, and uh, sometime thereafter, Nick Miller. Each of us have had a different path, but everybody here is trained in Iaido to some degree and in other martial arts to, to a vast degree. Uh, the amount of talent and training on this call, um, for anybody who doesn't know, is absolutely mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, you led this by saying this is the first time we've had a call where everybody's a student of one person. Um, but I got to tell you, I am so humbled by uh, the, the commitment that this group has put into martial arts of all kinds and uh, the, the amazing work that you guys have done in Iaido as well. So if you're listening to this call, if you're watching this call, um, uh, keep an open mind. There is a, there's a, this, is a, this is a master's class. This is mm -hmm. a Stradivarius class in Iaido building. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss out. <laughs> That's awesome, Setsu Suino. Thanks for that. Um, you know, real quick, I don't want to go down any rabbit holes here, but um, you know, I I I know so many people who don't understand culture pre-online. And the idea that you met Hanchi Legacy in 1991 in Boston and you weren't on Instagram and you weren't on TikTok and you weren't, you just met a human and you said, I like you, give me your information and maintained a relationship. And not only has that altered my karate immensely through uh my own small Iaido training, but also what it's done for Sensei Dolphin's concepts of structure and beyond, um, but also you're responsible for all my grappling. So yeah, you know, a chance meeting in Boston, not online, not fake meeting, actual meeting, actual decision to maintain a relationship through a lifetime across barriers that, you know, um, existed pre that online stuff. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And the one thing, you know, we talked about before the call is that you and 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 the guests we have tonight you you fundamentally created this boken fencing you you took the art of iaido which is effectively a solo art and you turned it into something that's trained with a partner so sensei suino i'm gonna let you throw it to who you want to break it open with but that's incredible a because too many of these 
old static arts, I think, don't have someone facing another human. And B, um, talk to us about that or, or have one of your students do it. Yeah, well, they're going to do most of the talking. So right. uh, what is brilliant about this is there are Boken, uh, there's, there's Kumitachi with Boken where people would take two wooden swords and do structured activities. They're very controlled. Um, but what happened was I had two genius Iaido students that I left alone <laughs> in East Lansing uh, for a long time. And uh, one of whom would sit outside the dojo in Tatehiza and the other one uh, who has disdain for anything stupid. Um, I left them long enough alone that they started experimenting and coming up with new stuff. I had nothing to do with the original creation of Boken fencing. Um, these two guys came up with it and took it from zero to an incredibly high level. Uh, and so I want them to wander into that process a little bit. I'll kind of give them a Sean Benson question. Um, let's start with, um, with Dan, Dan Holland. Um, uh, take, us, take us back to that day or that moment when you guys, you know, took two wooden swords and said, hey, what if we do some, what if we play with these? What, what, what was that like? How did you, how did you start with that? Um, and, you know, what were the first days and weeks like with bulkhead fencing? Yeah, well, it was a long time ago. So I don't know if I remember like the very day, but Miller, you're going to have to help me with this. Yeah. I think the idea was, you know, we were doing at least one of the two person forms that is uh, sanctioned by Asian Yaido. We were definitely had Tachichi no Kurai. Do you know if we had Sumeo no Kurai yet? I don't, I don't think you did it those days. I don't think mm -hmm. you started training on that until you started coming down to Ann Arbor. Yeah. Okay, so I think what happened was we were just, you know, doing Tachiyushi no Kurai, and then we're like, well, what happens if this is a little bit more alive? What would, how would that look? And I think actually it was Miller, Miller's idea first to, to start uh, doing this in a little more of a free range. Miller, so does that comport with your memory? There, there's a little bit of a, a history, uh, and, and I think that we have to cite um, some some other martial artists um, that are important in, in our education. Um, both uh, Hollandsense and I uh, spent a few years with uh, martial artists in East Lansing named Doug Lawrence, and we were doing some uh, internal Chinese uh, styles. And um, he, he had some, a lot of his stuff uh, uh, sort of was, feeding into these these ideas and in with him we were doing some uh, uh swordsmanship with uh john a straight chinese sword and um i looked at that and i said well, can we do that with the boken and um we started started doing that and and um and then uh started figuring out what how that how that works, what this actually is, and and, and it developed from there. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because there have been times when, especially early on, when we would were boken fencing, and then you guys would mention that, and we would get into empty hand stuff and do stuff that was very much like tai chi push hands or or just sort of free sparring with contact in a limited setting. Um, and it's very easy, I think, for someone that does that does uh, Chinese martial arts and does like push hands to see the connection between some of the things we do in Boken fencing and that. So absolutely great point. So I will say that the, the, um, 
the beginning was was very experimental um and but there there's one very important aspect that made the whole thing work and that was that holland sensei is a very nice guy and i'd like to think that i'm pretty nice too um what i mean is that we approached the uh exercise or the experiment without a lot of ego without a lot of intent to beat each other to win it was really honest cooperative exploration and that uh is part of the key that made everything develop and in terms of like honest cooperation it, it was it was very much that it wasn't like okay uh, i swing my sword in some way and then he gives me his neck or you know like i i push his sword out of the way and then it just goes flying there is there are some you know people who who train martial arts that i think are a little too cooperative we were very cooperative but we were actively you know working to try to get something real with good structure with good martial intention um but also with safety in mind because yeah. it's dangerous to swing these giant sticks around i mean they're heavy and they they hurt i i just want to say so i've had the opportunity to do bulk and fencing with sensei shino uh sensei holland and sensei miller and if you're wondering what it's like a lot of people do iato without uh suba on your bulk end. you definitely want to have a suba or your hands are not going to like it um and you definitely want to wear some high eyeglasses um because some people have had their retina poked pretty deeply because uh, it's not like kendo where you're just smashing each other with uh, a shinai and wearing lots of armor. You're wearing nothing. You're just wearing your regular stuff and some glasses and you have a boken. And there's a lot more slashing and cutting and poking going on. And yeah, so it's just a little bit of context about what it is from my experience. Rank amateur at it. You guys have done thousands more hours at it, but uh, yeah. So I think that when we were starting out, you know, the kind of fundamental question, we didn't articulate it at the time, but the fundamental question is, how can you have a, a contest between swordsmen uh, that's reasonably safe without, um, without armor, without protective equipment, without rules? So I, this, of course, figuring out how to have free interaction and, and contest between people is, um, is is a question that all martial artists have to answer. Um, and and kendo is uh, a very natural answer. Um, and and so kendo in in kendo people are safe because you have protective equipment and you have rules. And what what we're doing or uh, uh, is a different approach. Uh, we maintain safety by uh, mutual understanding and um, restraint, and um, that um, creates a very different. Uh, character to the to the practice and it's really quite interesting and that's the whole reason I, I think it's a little bit more rare because it requires a very uh 
sophisticated understanding uh, um, for both parties in order to, to do this and, and be safe. And um, uh, that is less common. It's, it's much easier to participate with people if you just, you know, the rules, you've, you, you, you do the things that are allowed and, and everybody stay safe. Uh, but when there aren't rules, but um, you still want to be safe. It's, it's, uh, uh, creates, it creates a different style uh, or character of interaction and, and, and allows for the exploration of things in a, in a different way, which has turned out to be really, really fun. Sorry, were you gonna say something says to you? My, my question, which is, I guess, for everybody, because we've all done lots of different martial arts. You're talking, uh, Sensei Miller, about rules, right? And when I picture the two of you doing bokken fencing, kind of figuring this out, and the way you're talking about it, it really reminds me of how I used to fight with Sensei Legacy or how I fought with him like just a couple of weeks ago back here where there isn't actually any rules. There's nobody else in the room. Like you're just, if somebody loses their shit, you're in a deep world then, right? Like, and it's because you have this personal connection with each other that, and you let the ego go that you're able to experiment and do these things. I guess my question around the room, and I'll ask, I'll start with Sense of Legacy is, when things become too rule oriented and too structured, how do you think that would have stifled Boken fencing? Or for the people who don't do Boken fencing, how do you think that starts to frame the, the strategies of the different martial arts that you do when there's a lot of rules? Um, so Sensei Legacy, how do you think people like, and then I'll go to Sensei Suino and then uh, Benson, and then we'll wrap it up with uh, Miller and Holland so that they can, how do you think rules inform the strategy? And then how does that start drifting into the martial art? Well, when you and I fought, it was just under the understanding that we weren't going to hurt each other seriously. Uh, if you're experimenting and you're fighting, things are going to happen. Rules fill the mind. And when you're fighting, and I imagine in any type of fighting, your mind should be empty. And the more rules, as opposed to understanding, right? if there are rules that you have to obey, that somehow will curb maybe discoveries and things like that, things that you want to experiment on. Well, I can't do that because of this. Can't do that because of that. So I think understanding, like uh, these two gentlemen have, the understanding of how dangerous this is and what a great venture they're taking. That um, the rules at some point have to be thrown out so that your mind can fully experiment. I am the least... Um, skilled likely in EI so I don't have all that much to say about it but I do know about uh, what kind of state of mind that you should be in when you're fighting where your life is on the line you're not playing tag you're essentially following the footsteps of Mimutu Musashi, Udai Giriichian and those guys so I'll just leave it at that just saying that Rules will always curb your inventing, your inventions. Sensei Yeah, that's a that's a 
it's a terrific point. It's also true that, you know, you play to the rule set in every, in every sport. And that's one of the things that got, drove me away from Kendo. Um, there are, there are specific rules about how you enter, but so many of them are based on, oh, you had to enter with the right mindset or your ki was the right time. And then you have people on the sidelines judging your, the, the, your, your internal character based on what they saw from the outside. Um, that seems like, listen, if people are good at kendo, they should feel free to disagree with me. And I have great respect for, for many kendo practitioners. I didn't like the rule set. I thought it was, I thought it was too subjective, like, uh, like the rule set for, you know, ice skating or something. I could be proven wrong. I just don't know that much about it. Um, what I liked about not having the rule set in, in bokken fencing was that uh, we could stop at any time and say, hey, let's explore this. Um, that seemed like a score. Like, I think you cut me before I cut you or that, that wouldn't have worked or you evaded that, you know, let's stop and talk about it. And then, oh, let's explore that more. How can we do this move? How can we do that move? And furthermore, to say, you know, should we sort of say that that's probably a discouraged thing because it's too dangerous or too fake? You know, some of our, some of our um, uh, newcomers to the art sometimes get a little too airy-fairy for want of a better word. Um, and that goes to Hanchi Legacy's point about, you know, following in the footsteps of warriors. Uh, we definitely want a playful mindset when we do this, but there's a level to which you do not want to go because you're then making a mockery of the, of the swordsmanship aspect of this. Yeah, I love that since, you know, when you talk about the subjective nature of the rules, I remember uh, Sense Legacy coaching me about just different positions of the ring and which referees could see you and which ones couldn't. And so it's like, allow this person to hit you first because only one referee will see them. And then when they expose themselves, you can hit them and three referees will see you and you're <laughs> going to get the point. And now you're going to you're gonna win the tournament because not because you are actually the better fighter because you work the rules and the strategies in the right way. Um, so I, lo I love that. I also like the thought that popped into my head about, well, who cut first? Well, does it matter if both people cut, right? I think when you're doing that kind of stuff, you realize that both people could die in this situation. Um, anyway, sorry, Benson, what, what are your thoughts on? Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I kind of have two, you know, one, one is an expansion a bit on what Hanchi Legacy talked about. Um, just the idea of creativity. And like, I, I wrote down the word listen, you know, I think about my dad, if I play him a song in the car, and I go, Hey, dad, check this out. My dad's got a very sort of like, definitive mind. And he'll go within the first three bars, he'll go, Oh, that reminds me of this song by Ravel. And he'll stop listening, because he's categorized it. He listens long enough to categorize. And once he can categorize, he's done. So he never hears things new after a certain point. And so for me, that's the danger of rules is once it gets categorized, the listening stops. And then the other thing for me that's huge is that these are martial arts. They're not sports. And, you know, um, Sensei Suino introduced me to grappling. And, you know, like IBJJF rules, like you can't body slam someone. So if I wrap someone who's way bigger and tougher than me up in just like, let's say a full guard, as they start to lift me, if this is in the street, I will literally get my back broken if I don't let go with my legs. But in the tournament rule set, I can just hold on and they can't slam me. And so all of a sudden the martial aspect is disappearing because I'm playing a rule set. And, you know, when I just read Hicks and Gracie's biography and 
all he talks about in the early days of jujitsu is when you throw your sidekick and when they're punching at you and you grab their arm. That's a non-rule based martial art that has now become a rule based martial art. So anyways, I never want the martial aspect to go away. If you and I are sparring sensei, like, fuck, if I, like you said, if I push it, that'll be a bad day for me. Um, but we're always pushing it. And that's the listening. So I just want to leave it at that. And now let's go to uh, Miller and Holland. So Miller, maybe you go first. We'll save the last word for Holland <laughs> on this exchange. Sure. Um, except I was going to twist it a little bit. Uh, so some of the things you said um, touched on scorekeeping. Mm. And rules uh, uh, are there in different contexts for safety, but also for competition, who to decide who wins. And when we do this practice, um, we don't keep score. Mm. You evaluate your performance, uh, you know, if you got, if you cut your opponent or not, uh, um, and decide, for your, for your own feedback, how you did, um, but we don't keep score. So it doesn't matter that much except for your own effort to improve. And that also brings a different character to this practice that is uh, uh, very, very uh, refreshing. I like to say that it's better to, to win uh, or it's better to lose well than to win poorly. I love that. I, I think one thing that when you're saying that too, uh, since Miller, that makes me think of is even if there's other people in the room, it's important that it's you and the other person that you're engaged with, not, not a third party, right? As soon as you add the third party and then it creates some dynamic that can't exist anymore when it's just you and the other person. I think that's a, when you're saying that, that's what I'm thinking. So that's all in. What do you get to, you get the last word. Let's, Put a big yeah. exclamation mark on this. <laughs> well, you know, in, in a way, it really has maintained a very similar character throughout the years. Like when we first started, one of the reasons we didn't have rules is we didn't really know what the rules should be. We're just like, uh, I don't know, we're going we're gonna to start practicing this, trying this out and see what happens. And really, you know, we're like, you know, like, okay, don't hit me. I'm not going to hit you or like, you're not going to hurt each other. We just already had a mutual understanding. And, you know, Miller cited earlier, Sifu Doug Lawrence's internal Kung Fu class. He and I already kind of, we'd spent a lot of time doing a lot of free practice in that context and in that framework. And, you know, it, there's, it's not so much rules, more like restrictions that you abide by. And as long as you abide by them, you're free to do whatever you want. And that kind of transferred over into the book and stuff. And from there, we started, instead of coming up with rules, we started coming up with, um, is, is restriction the right word? I'm not sure. Like concepts, ideas, things that we, we try to, to drive for. For example, you know, not swinging the sword like a bat because it's a heavy piece of wood and we'll hurt each other if we do instead moving the sword like a blade so it's more like press and pull as opposed to a slight a quick bash and from there all kinds of interesting concepts came out and they were very very much inspired by like the framework was very much inspired by the internal kung fu class we uh, did and the i guess the the physical motions were 
extremely expired by um, Asian Rui Ido. Yeah. Love that. Uh, so sooner, I'm going to let, I think I cut you off before. I think you had a question or thought you wanted to explore, but I just want to say if you've never trained with uh, Sensei Holland before and you want to know uh, things that you're good at, train with that man. Uh, he becomes excited by students who do things well and mm -hmm. he lets you know when you do things well and you know you're on the right track when you're, when you're training with uh, Sensei Holland. Oh, I love this stuff. And yeah, if, if other people pick it up, that's just more people to do it with. <laughs> I just I mentioned here. I'm sorry. No, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, I was going to mention too about like trying to get rid of the rules. It's a little bit like, and pardon my example here, it's a little bit like having chickens, right? You have to put them in a coop first, and then after a while, when they know where they belong, you can remove the fence and they'll always stay there. So I'm, I'm thinking that we need the rules at the beginning so that you can create the zone that user going to enter. And then as the zone becomes more and more practiced inside of you, the outside rules can just be dropped off. Mm. And again, you'll just stay within the confines of staying alive, <laughs> right? You wouldn't want to, because I've, I've read a lot of stories on Udai Giriichian and Giriyasikian and Miyamoto Musashi where Musashi just touched uh, an assailant who had a helmet on and he brained him, he killed him. Just with a touch in his garden. So um, I can see where you have to take this very, very cautiously. Yeah, I guess I was just going to expound on the idea that, you know, to, to move into that exploration in any martial art, you have to have a level of trust. And, in, in, uh, you know, in the Legacy Dojo, you guys have talked about that a lot. You know, if you really have a high regard and love for somebody, then you can train safely at a much higher level than if you always have to worry about getting hurt. Um, Sean, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in BJJ clubs. You know, you go and start rolling with a stranger who's just hyper. And you're just like, man, I, this is too dangerous for me, right? You see that in stand-up judo and grappling all the time. Um, I wanted the, the Miller and Holland contingent to chat a little bit about what are some of the limitations or problems that you encounter when you try to do bokken fencing with someone who's new, maybe not that good at Eido or not a natural athlete. Because um, I think that sheds some real light on how the process goes. So we talked a little bit about that. What happens when you encounter somebody who's just who struggles with it, and uh, what kind of problems you encounter? Um, Holland, why don't you start start us out on that? Well, I mean, the main thing is it's first of all, if you just do a bunch of forms, you can be really, really good at these physical shapes, but using them in a moving way especially if the other person is using them in a moving manner kind of against you, it's really difficult to know what to do. Like you can go through a sequence of techniques and you can do it very well or a sequence of movements. But as soon as we get in, in chaos, it's, it's hard. And so the, the main thing that, that tends to happen with new people is they get too chaotic or they become so still that there's nothing really happening. What do you think, Miller? I think that's a good answer. Um, I'm going to uh, throw it back to um, riff on a point that Suda Sensei just made, uh, but in a different context. Um, 
to, to do this well, you need the right intensity level. Mm. If it's too intense, then you get tunnel vision, you lose control, you lose creativity, um, it's not safe. If it's not intense enough, there's nothing fueling the action. Uh, there's no drive uh, to, to feel the exchange. And with um, beginners uh, or people who are new to it, they haven't experienced it, so they don't know how to dial their intensity. And, and so that can become an issue uh, if you have somebody who goes too far to the intense level, you have to try and squash them or, or put, be a wet blanket on them to try and bring them down. Or you just have to tell them, you got you to chill it. Um, or it uh, but a little bit harder is actually to deal with the people who aren't a, don't have enough um, gumption and, and try to get them to, to, to play, to put something into it. Uh, they're too scared, too timid and try to encourage them to do that because, um, uh, you know, they're sort of not seeing it because it isn't there yet. Nothing's happening yet because it's not fueled. You mean you don't just hit them in the head with the bulkhead and give them a big <laughs> knot? And when they wake up, you just say, you were incredible. You received that blow to the head like nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we did, we did start talking about safety, right? So... <laughs> Well, that actually brings me to a question I have, and let's start with you, Sensei Miller, and then we'll go to Sensei Holland. Um, is fantasy versus reality, right? And so, for example, you know, I think I know 30 cuts, and all of them have a full cut in them. Um, but you talked about, let's say, not using full overhead cuts as part of the, or at least with that kind of overhead smashing intensity. Yeah. So in reality, I assume we'd maybe want to use that. So where does that bridge occur? And at what point do you go, yeah, we do have a boundary over here, but other than that, you know, you, you get my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good one. Um, so, so, and, and it all goes back to the, to, to, uh, the point of safety. And um, so just very simply, we might describe uh, a, a, a fight um, as like with Joe Hawk rhythm or something, you know, there's some, uh, initial contact, some change, and then some impact, some uh, finish. And this kind of uh, practice, uh, for safety's sake, requires that we de-emphasize the finish. Um, and consequently, we emphasize the changing, the maneuvering, the, um, the, the, the rhythms and, and, and all this kind of thing. We try not to win by being faster or stronger than our opponent. We try to win by outmaneuvering them or having better insight into the situation and making a better choice of move. And when we win that way, you find victory before you take it, right? So you can see it. You can see like, ah, okay, this is, this is going to work. I know that I can now cut my opponent in the head. Um, and um, when you do that, you have a lot more control. You did not accidentally win by shoving your sword out there and hitting the other guy. You saw where your sword will go. You know it will go there because you have an understanding of the situation. And so then you can put it there in a much more controlled way. And 
in 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 sort of practice or in, in realization the way this works is um when i cut at the head i will um uh, uh, abbreviate the cut mm -hmm. um but sometimes i'll let it cut through when i know that my partner's got themselves covered um and when i cut at the body uh i'll, I'll cut at the body uh and we'll we'll hit each other and touch each other and cut, cut on each other. But as Holland says, he said earlier on in the call, we do try to cut rather than strike. So it's um, less painful. We, we don't, I mean, we try to not hurt each other, right? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there is, there's this sort of this delicate uh, a boundary where uh, we, um, give full expression sometimes and not full expression other times in, in order for safety. But the point, since, since the focus is not winning exactly or point scoring, the focus is really on that middle part, that, that maneuver, that change, that uh, uh, um, sort of uh, synch synch synchronization and then desyncing to, 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 um, to find something. Uh, and, and that, um, the, so, so the reason why this stuff is, is so much fun is the emphasis on that part over the other, over, over finishes, because that is where a lot of really interesting stuff in the martial arts exists. That's, I love that. And I just want to amplify for myself, find the win without having to take the win. That's huge to me. Sensei Holland, is there anything you want to add to that? That was actually, that was a great answer, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it is, it is what, yeah, it is what he said. We use all cuts, all cuts from all over the place. Sometimes cuts are coming from weird angles. Sometimes they're coming from, you know, uh, conventional angles. The overhead cut happens all the time. Maybe sometimes you, instead of veer, instead of hitting the head straight down, you'll move to the shoulder. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's very much the idea that sometimes you're fast, sometimes you're slow. Initial impact is, isn't so much like, like a like a percussive hit it's more like it's, it's a press in and then once you get that you try to slide the blade or move the blade and it's very interesting like sometimes you can actually move your partner because you've drawn your blade across their body um we try not to you know do that across the face or the head sometimes something like this happens but you know body cuts leg cuts arm cuts all the time you can really with your sword affect your partner's posture and it's neat that when you slide the wood across it's not a big deal as long as the wood isn't bashed up and it has like teeth on it the splinters suck especially under the thumbnail but you know it it, it, it just makes it a really fun game that's awesome I, um, I just want to emphasize for people who haven't seen this that this is all going on sometimes at a really high rate of speed. So these calculations that these guys are talking about, these observations, right? They're microscopic, millisecond. If you, if you haven't already, go on YouTube, go to Japanese Martial Arts Center, search for Balkan fencing and see what these guys are like in action. Um, it looks playful, but there's a lot there. One point I want to emphasize is we move kind of toward the, the end of the call. Um, uh, Miller said, find victory rather than take victory. Uh, one of the key hallmarks, the mindset that's really important about Moken fencing is the idea that you never get your mind out of the game, 
Randy, you said something to us uh, at JMAC uh, during the, the coaching you were doing for, for sparring and karate uh, a week or so ago, and that was a lot of our JMAC people kind of look away or lose their focus in the middle of, when they're either right before an attack, during an attack, or right after an attack. And the whole point in, in Boken fencing is you really lose for yourself when you lose your, your focus, when you're, the moment, when, when you're not in the moment. So if someone cuts me and I'm in the moment and I see the whole thing elapse and I'm moving my sword intelligently, that's not a loss, right? Um, if I win, but I've done it through speed, as Holland Sensei said, and I'm, I'm losing my focus, that's, a lose, that's, a, that's in a way a loss for me. So mm. you never lose if you don't get up, if you, don't, if you never leave the moment. That's where the beauty of this thing is. It's beyond, you know, just we all know from Iaido, it takes you to a really deep level of focus. Yamaguchi Sensei used to say, right, there are five major moves in an Iaido form. Each of those five has five parts. Each part has five aspects and so forth and so on. And Boken fencing is like that made, made manifest in motion. You mm. must focus deeply with your eyes, with your ears, with your senses. And staying in the focus, in the moment focus, right, will over time increase your ability to stay in more and more complex situations, be able to defend yourself in more against more and more chaos. It never results in a perfect situation, right? But you can drop out of that curve really quickly by losing your engagement, by stopping paying attention or having the mind wander. Yeah, the, the mind of the game is, is huge. It's, it's Zangshin, very much, very much so. And as you describe it in the graph, it's, it's like staying within the flow. One of the most common reasons that I that I lose or that Miller or someone else gets me is because I misinterpret the situation that Miller described. I'm like, okay, I know my sword is going to be in the right place. I know I'm going to get him. And then I turn off. Then he deals with it and he cuts him. <laughs> so it has to always be in the game. And that's a great, actually, that, that's one of the, I think, um, major benefits to this practice because we're not going to go out and sword fight, but we're still in a very chaotic situation, potentially dangerous. We're, we're not trying to hurt each other, but all kinds of stuff is going on. Being able to keep your mind in that, to maintain the zanshin is very important. And just to sort of reiterate what Smith, as I said, uh, progress looks like, um, uh, looks like um, in increasing the intensity level at which you can play. So I, I, we talked uh, earlier about the right intensity level. And the more experience you develop, um, the more skill you develop, the higher intensity level that you can take this game um, without, it, without it being too high, without losing control. And that um, when you get up to the higher intensity levels, man, is it exciting. It's mm. just so much fun. <laughs> so we got like 10 minutes and I still got another question, which I think is an important question for us to talk about in relation to uh, Bokan fencing and other martial arts in general, which uh, I want to go around everybody, but the topic is consequence of mistake, right? Consequence of mistake, which is I think what we're articulating really well right now. Um, but I think it's important that other people understand that if I just go back there and do Kusanku Dai, or I do all of the cuts of Mukso, Jigden, Ishinryu, Yairo, it's always a flawless victory for me, right? It's always a flawless victory. I'm training in perfection. I'm training in ideal, and there is no consequence to mistake. So 
I'd like to just go around the horn about um, if you only do things without consequence of mistake, how does that stifle you? How do you develop? Because I'm thinking that you've developed as different swords, swordsmen, swords people, because of the consequence of mistake, and that's going to affect the way you do your cuts. So um, I don't know, Benson. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different order. Uh, Benson, you go first. Consequence of mistake. Uh, sense of legacy, consequence of mistake, uh, sense of Suino, and then we'll always end with Miller and Holland for the final thought. Okay, cool. I'll make mine real simple. I got a friend who's got a black belt in another club, and when we're talking about any kind of interaction, this is as a, as a karate guy, he'll go, and then touch your face, fight over. And he's not fought enough to know the consequence of that thinking, which is, no, you're in a fantasy. Uh, so he hasn't learned the consequence of his fantasy karate uh, because they don't spar the way other clubs and our club does. And so for me, that's a problem. He's actually going to get into more danger. He's going to think he can get closer to somebody than he can instead of just running out the back door because he thinks if we do this and I touch your face, fight over. We know that doesn't mean fight over because we've learned the consequences of the mistake of getting hit a certain way, but also thinking your touch would have finished something that wouldn't. Oh, that to me is, is, that's a consequence that's really deep. And uh, anyways, for me, that's it is that I need to know what my hit on someone else feels like if I've hit them too hard. And I go, oh, the consequence of my mistake is they got hurt. So this works or no, this wouldn't work. So I can't be in that position thinking it would. That's legacy. Well, what I was looking at is, uh, well, a cut or a kata um, has both offense and defensive moves in it. Um, the one thing that, because of doing it the way that you gentlemen are doing it, when you're in the middle of a, let's say a contest and someone, you both start to deliver a, a light technique, which one of you is gonna give it up to deflect the other person in order to re-attack? I find that that, that's the same thing with me when I do empty-handed fighting. That with me is a, a, a point that you cover doing your type of sparring with the Vulcan, where you can actually say somebody both tried to do a head cut and one person realizes uh, there's, an op there's an opportunity for him to, to hit me with that technique as much as me with him. Do I want to take a chance or do I want to live to be able to do the next technique? So you're learning a lot about what time uh, to avoid going into that trap. Mm. So um, there's a lot to be learned right there just doing that. I find that to be like excellent value of not always thinking you're going to score. If somebody else is in a position, I always tell my fighting students, if you see that somebody's punch is rushing towards you and could possibly hit you first, give up your punch for a block and then you can live there. And this is even more so when you're handling a five foot razor. So I'm saying that what you stumbled across or what was um, earned by you and mindset is very good. That's a good way of being able to teach 
somebody to give up their technique to live another day. Sensasino? Love that. Um, in fact, in the kata, in the two-person kata that Holland Sensei referenced earlier, uh, no Kurai, the last form is called Mappo, and the attacker who comes to a Haso uh, no Kamai takes three steps forward and suddenly realizes that the other guy's got him, so he has to block at the at the very last second. That's a perfect example of that, right? Turned into a kata, like codified. In practice, over the years, um, I think we've become softer. I don't mean softer internally, but I mean our sword styles become a little softer. I think in the old days, we did a lot more clashing and we realized there's a lot more situations where if you're striking too hard and maybe a little thoughtlessly, that you're going to lose to someone who's a little more subtle and kind of can realize that, slip it and go in, beat you in timing, beat you in intention, uh, beat you in awareness. Uh, a lot of learning has taken place. So the consequence of, of failure and bulk fencing, at least as a learning tool, is simply pain, big knots on your head, having that back of your eyeball palpated, uh, uh, losing a fingernail. Um, but, you know, the analog is that's when you lose a limb. And, of course, in the old days, that probably means you lost your life as well. Miller, what do you think? Well, I, I'm going to kind of echo what, what Benson says they said. Um, uh, a mistake, a huge mistake is to not appreciate or understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what it is capable of doing for you. Uh, so meaning like if you do kata, thinking that that is fighting, this is a mistake. And there are consequences to making that mistake of um, distorted understanding of reality. And, um, so, so being really aware and, and honest and open and, and explicitly talking about, you know, this each practice, and in this case, Boken fencing, uh, the practice, what it is, what it is capable of, you know, uh, what it's not. Um, we've talked about some of that here, and um, uh, um, I think that this is super important in order to keep your head level and um, and, and be honest with yourself and with others and 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 keep everybody progressing and having fun and, and make the practice meaningful. Otherwise it's, it's gonna really not be. Um, yeah, and, and of course more mundane issues is, um, you know, if you make mistakes on some of the stuff like intensity level and uh, things like that, um, you, you lose partners. If people get hurt or, or scared, they don't want to play, then you can't have fun. So, um, so those, those are my thoughts on, on this topic. I love that. How about you, uh, Sensei Holland, get the final word. And then I want to just say a couple of things and then maybe Sensei Sino, we, you could, if there's a final thought you want, and then we should probably wrap it up. But uh, what, what are you thinking about consequence of mistake, uh, uh, well, <clears throat> everyone said it so well. I'll just say, I mean, consequence is really, it's the name of the game. I mean, consequence is how you learn what to do next. Mm. And, you know, it, 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 there are so many martial adages that talk about this. 
cry in the dojo, laugh on the battlefield. The way of the samurai is found in death, right? We die so many times when we bookend fence. Fortunately, the concept, like there's no severe consequence, but the consequence is we learn, we begin to learn why we're dying or why we are getting the other person cut. When I say dying, I mean like when, when the other person gets a much better uh, cut than I did or gets a cut and I don't or vice versa. So studying those consequences and, and trying to predict what the consequence will be based on a very fast and moving situation or chaotic situation. That's what Vulcan Fencing teaches. I love that. Uh, I like everything that was said. Um, for me, one thing that I would say is that the consequence of mistakes um, leads you to believe or understand that everything is fighting. It doesn't matter if you're doing kata. It doesn't matter if you're doing basics. It's all fighting. That's, we've used it for other things to, you know, to center yourself, develop a different mind, expand your thinking. But the reality is when you do the solo exercises of Mugso, Jigidin, Ishinryu, Iaido, it's so that you can cut somebody's arm or head off. Like that's, in the end, that's what it's about. Um, the same way as when you do kata, it's about being able to pull a guy's arm out of the socket or punch them in the chest and uh, make all their ribs break. Uh, that's what the katas are for, is to help you do those things. Um, but the one thought I want to just add to all of this is that uh, I think if you do boken fencing or you do ju kumite or randori, you start to also learn the limitations of your art. Uh, whereas if you live in a fantasy world, you think, you know, oh, my swordsmanship can stop an atom bomb from killing me, where the reality is, no, it cannot. Like that weapon doesn't align with that weapon, right? And you need to learn more. You need to know empty handed, you need to know grappling, you need to know weapons. And if you don't, then you're going to find some consequences uh, when you're a judo player and you go to try and grab somebody who has a four foot razor and as you put your arm out, it falls on the ground, right? Because... <laughs> There's a consequence to that. So, Sensuino, you know, any final things you want to crack open before we send it back to Benson for wrap-up? Uh, I think that's a great wrap-up. Love to chat more, but I think what everybody who listens to this call needs to do is to go on YouTube, type in Boken Fencing Japanese Martial Arts Center, watch some of those videos there, especially these two guys going at it. They just have a level of understanding and ability. Uh, that's stage one. Once you see that, come in the dojo, watch it in person, and then sign up for a class, whether that's a karate class with... Hanshi Legacy or one of these other gentlemen, or whether it's any idol class at JMAC, uh, you've got to try it. Nothing will teach you what it's like to get punched in the face. <laughs> get, except punching it, getting punched in the face. Um, that's awesome. Sensei Suino, feel free to say no, but I'm going to give you a 30 second to 45 second challenge. It's a question that's been burning my mind since the beginning. Um, You've got two relatively young, at the time, not high-ranking students who come to you with a fighting style, and you adopt it instead of saying, no, do it my way. And we talk so much on our show about following your sensei, and here you are adopting an idea that two of your students came up with. Uh, why would you do that, and what are the both perils and awesome things about it? 30 to 45 seconds. <laughs> or tell me no, next conversation. Yeah, um, uh, the nutshell is that probably would have happened with any two other people on the planet. Um, uh, you know, I have this, I have this joke around JMAC, right? There's the one ring, then there's the three rings, then there's the five rings. Well, um, uh, these two guys make up the, make the, the other legs of the three ring triangle. Um, I have no 
hesitations about their authenticity, their curiosity, um, their desire to get things right. And when they came to me and said, look, we've, we've created this thing. Um, I examined it. Uh, it was amazing. And it takes all the things that we love about sparring and karate, about Rondori and judo, about free rolling and BJJ and judo and combine, puts them into uh, an art with swords in a way that I had not seen done historically uh, before. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, paradigm shifting. It's amazing. And it's enriched my life in beyond measure. So uh, the, the right two guys came to me with the plan. <laughs> Thanks for that sense. I really appreciate that answer. And I just know that I have three senses on this call and I do exactly what they say, but they also have the humility to learn and change over time and, and grow their arts, therefore. So that, that's a really great answer. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Sensei Hall and Sensei Miller for being our guest today. Um, and, and as Sensei Suino said, go check out the Volcan Fencing on YouTube and uh, let's all grow what our understanding of arts and consequences are so we keep moving the real martial arts forward. Thank you, Sensei. Yeah, when, you, when you watch that, Benz, you're going to watch it and you're going to say, oh, I can do that. And the answer is, no, you can't. <laughs> right? <laughs> the answer is going to be, no, you can't. Well, you can maybe 10 years from now. But, right. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. And join us for our live chats on Zoom. When we have our guests, go check out the LegacyMartialArtsAndFitness.com website. Look under PKCC and join us for future events. We look forward to having you either live or watching us uh, later on YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you all in person.